Our second episode in the series, Charlene and I managed to catch up with the British environmentalist and explorer, David the Rothschild. We first covered David in our second issue, Environment. He was introduced to me by a mutual friend. David's support for all I'm doing at Mission, my team, everyone, has been amazing. I'd like to think we're friends now, if I can, David. He's a super, super busy man, so we were really fortunate to be able to get time with him. He appears on CNN International, The Modern Explorers. He's got a store in LA with products and balms and creams, a tequila brand. The store's called The Lost Explorer. They have a website. He also heads up Sculpt the Future Foundation. And I think he's best known for Plastiki Project, where he had a catamaran made up of plastic bottles, which he sailed across the Atlantic. It actually makes me feel lazy. He's genuinely passionate about the environment, and I think that comes through in this podcast. And we're super excited to have him on board and very honoured. Well, it's, I mean, I know we've got to get moving because we've got a short space of time to speak to you. And and the truth is, is there's, oh my God, you've just done so much. It's insane. Yes. It is just so inspiring to just look at what you have done in your life um, let alone what you've done for the planet, what you've done for communities and everything. It is just like breathtaking. <laughs> well, it's, it's kind of you to say. It, um, it doesn't sort of feel like that. <laughs> but <laughs> but I appreciate appreciate the nod. <laughs> it's amazing because the thing is, David, so many people talk the talk and, you know, they do not – they do, they do not live as such and mm. they don't put a lot of what they say into practice or literally get directly involved with it I just think that's what's so amazing to, to look at you know look at what you have done and what you've created and it's like wow because I mean it jumps it jumps all over the shot I mean I was kind of slightly chuckling with bits it was like yeah I'm not riding horses anymore yeah I'm going to go into marketing for for merchandise for music industry you've been in the music industry you've been sailing boats you've been it's mm. just phenomenal it, it's it's not I mean you know it's funny when you know looking I was actually oddly enough today sitting down um, with some architects at Foster and Partners and we were talking about some future projects and and what we might do together they were kind of asking a similar story about where's all come from and i think from the outside looking in if and even being in the inside looking out if you know you sort of go god where where does it all how does it all link up but it it's interesting i feel like you know i'm, I'm a great believer in destiny and then you take you take you or you have certain moments in your life where there's a sliding door and you go one way or another and you know and i and i go i i wouldn't have been able to do what i had done you know without doing certain things prior or having those experiences and so for me, being in, you know, working with horses really intensely for, you know, most of my sort of very early informative years when you, when you first memories, I think was kind of the basis for my love for nature and animals. And so that was kind of like my foundation because I was living on a farm, you know, waking up when the sun rises and literally going to bed when the sun set and I was on the back of a horse or I was learning about sort of you know the systems around sort of just living in harmony with an animal and and that kind of that that sort of grounding and respect wow. for nature i think was kind of embedded at that age and then leaving university and going in at this funny time when we suddenly have the world wide web was just becoming this sort of phenomenon you know where it was 99 and everyone was talking about the world wide web and i'd come fresh off the back of a of a degree in computer science and then 
only because I picked it because it was the, the one subject, you know, I wasn't going to go to university. I had no idea what I wanted to, to really do. And I was like, ah, computers, hmm. that sounds fun. You know, it wasn't. And I got there and I was like, oh, my God, this is, <laughs> you know, a whole nother language. I had to learn modular two programming and how to program a computer. It's like I probably would have been more useful to learn French or Spanish versus, you know, computer code. And, and uh but I remember leaving and coming out of that and, and, and just the timing of everything. And, and literally, I mean, I, I, it's funny I had this conversation today, but I graduated in June. And by, you know, the end of August, I was setting up an online business for a merchandising company. And, and oh but what that did was it gave me the foundation to really look and understand how to develop stories and brand and the brand creation like being able to at the time work with companies like 19 management which was simon fuller and his kind of like absolute genius at creating yeah. s club seven and and spice girls and these kind of bands that you know you were like wow this was this was kind of you know storytelling at its kind of at its best for that field and that moment and that time and and what it did and how it captured the movement of people and all the musicians and the bands that you, you came into contact with but if I hadn't have had that experience, I don't think I would have been able to do half of the projects that I've done today and, you know, and continue to think about doing, which is they're always grounded in trying to use storytelling, you know, use data for sure as a, as a sort of factual starting point. But really, you've got to make things emotive. You've got to dress them up through narratives that are, are compelling. And so when I started to understand that this world of marketing and, and the world of promotion and the world of how that works... And then I combine my computer science with, you know, saying, well, if we can sell a pop band with the greatest respect that may not have a huge level of substance behind it, a lot of it is smoke and mirrors and marketing. Why can't we sell nature that has yeah. the most, you know, it's the richest, the most important, the deepest, the, 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 the majesty of nature, the story of nature. Why can't we, why can't we put a wrapper on it that re-engages people through the lens of curiosity and awe and wonder and not through the lens of fear and intimidation and exclusivity, mm. which is how it's always been presented. So it's funny, they kind of, I look back and I go, ah, that's, that's why that interaction happened. And that's why that happened. So that allowed me to do certain things and, and, and view the world, I guess, in a sort of, with a sort of a left and a right brain. It's a bit like you're saying about fate. That's like every step you've taken has been educate you and yeah. pave you for the way that it, it, for what it you're really doing feels now. like that i mean it's funny it's like you know now i get a lot of um people saying to me my god you know it was so visionary to do plastiki in 2010 people are only just talking about plastic now and i was like i just think it was yes. the universe happened to put me in the right place at the right time and you know i could yes. sort of try and fluff my you know my ego and be like oh yes it was i i knew that this was going to be it's like no of course it didn't i just what i knew was <laughs> at the time I, I realized that the story that we had just told, which was around the Arctic and the North Pole and around climate change, was not very tactile mm. and it mm. felt very abstract. And, you know, I was here, I was beating a drum around climate change. And yet, what does a ton of carbon look like, feel like, taste like? It's still probably part of the, the challenge we face today when we talk about a changing climate is that, you know, it's for a lot of, at least mm. at that point, now the weather kind of makes it, you know, very clear what's going on. But, at that point, it was very abstract. And so yeah. to me, the motivation to move to waste and mm. to plastic was really just going, it's tactile. I see it. I've, I'm part of it on a daily basis. That was kind of the impetus of going, yeah. the next mission that we were going to kind of focus on in our platform, which at the time was called Adventure Ecology, 
using adventure to inform and inspire people. You know, making learning an adventure, I think, was our tagline. And I think it just it sort of transpired that it was just like it was driven by a personal experience of me going, I feel really remote from this climate change conversation. I've just spent 110 days skiing across the Arctic. The next mm. project I do has to be something that we can all see, touch, taste, smell. And then you're sitting there, I'm like, waste. You know, waste is everywhere. And then it was like, well, plastic waste, that's that's yeah. just, you know, I didn't sort of, you know, it wasn't me with my magic crystal ball, you know, going, in 10 years time, this is going to be a phenomena where we're going to see this human fingerprint come back and bite us. But it was driven by this undeniable, it's an undeniable consequence of modernity. And I think that was the thing that was always frustrating me and still frustrates yeah. me about, you know, the climate change conversation is that wherever you see the conversation, it's such an emotive conversation. It always turns into a debate. And even today, I was listening to the radio and someone was talking about going, yeah. well, the climate's always changed. The weather patterns have always changed. We've been through cycles of heating and warming over the, you know, the last millennial. Like, wait a second. This is why we've sort of stalled on any kind of action is because we, we, uh, we debate it. Whereas, you know, when you look at things like deforestation, plastic in the ocean or on beaches, or you look at, you know, the sort of the clear consequences of, of modernity and human, these human fingerprints, they're undeniable. You can't deny that that is the cause and effect of our consumptive and, and, and linear throwaway society. So it's easier to kind of like create something tangible for people then yeah. to latch onto myself included. Yeah, I mean, it is, it is a real difficulty because it, sometimes yeah. people feel that you're being preachy and you're not, you're not saying, listen, if you just do one little thing and then leads on to another little thing that leads on to another little thing, hopefully, you know, your brain will start functioning in a very, very different way. And it's getting the message and sending the message over to people in such a simple form that they can sustain in their everyday life and it's it's just making those it's, it's difficult to try and talk people into just making those simple changes you know I spoke to a friend of mine the other day who's super smart super bright I couldn't even believe she said it to me she's I didn't realize that when you put your recycling in if someone else had put something in to the recycling that had like a bit of food or whatever it's contaminated the whole lot I was like <laughs> yeah and they were like but that's some, I was like, yeah, of course it is. <laughs> you know, you know, and you forget because I guess if you get into a certain pattern, you know. But it's just the information still in little things isn't grand enough for us to or drummed into us enough that we completely go, oh yeah, that makes complete sense. And therefore people don't see the, you know, the the snowball effect that it does have, that they think, oh yeah, but the weather's always changed. Not the way it is now. Mm-hmm. No, I mean not it's a crazy, it it's a really it's crazy not. time yeah. because what's interesting is as as we're becoming much more I think aware of the consequences of, of sort of dumping masses amounts of unnatural chemistry or, you know, natural chemistry, but in unnatural amounts into the atmosphere, we kind of, it's a bit like a sort of a, you know, a bodybuilder mm-hmm. who injects himself or herself with steroids, you know, and it's like, we've got this beautifully balanced body, you know, that if you just throw down all these chemicals into it, you have no idea on what the cause and effect of that will be until it starts that unfolding and at that point it's probably too late and what i see right now is that we're at a point in time where i think the consciousness of kind of the environmental narrative is is higher than ever but called with a narrative that transcends just environmentalism but is is underlying fear so it's fear of impending collapse of society we're creating fear and division you've got the rise of nationalism you've got the rise of fear of economic you know sort of collapse 
um, constantly in our ears. We've got the fear of societal collapse because of, you know, them versus us, even though we don't know who that is. Like, we're all the same. We're all on Spaceship Earth trying to fly this thing together. Yet there's very powerful forces that are creating this isolationist, this very narrow-minded, fear-based propaganda that unfortunately is not conducive of an optimistic outlook to affect positive impact. And so I think what's really sad is that mm-hmm. we get overwhelmed by fear and we retreat. And so I have really, really smart friends and, and, and some also not so smart friends, which I also like just as much in case they're listening. You know who you are. I have, I have, you know, like I'm one. You know, they know who they are. They, you know, they know who they, they are. are. Um, no, um, no names, but no, but you know, and and the thing that I I hear the most is I'm overwhelmed, right? So empathy is quickly followed by apathy, and I think we're all empathetic across a host of issues. But if you're bombarded by a very aggressive, overwhelming narrative that constantly is sort of being packaged to intimidate and to sort of separate and fragment and to, you know, kind of, you know, sort of put it into a way that for the most part, most of us can't actually digest. And so it's through the realm of data and and data points and, you know, increases in this and increases in that and this, and and we don't operate like that. We're creatures of stories. We're habitually, we navigate towards things that inspire us and we you know in, if you look at the personal level like if you're not feeling good about yourself you're probably not looking outward at the rest of the world you're probably thinking about yourself internally and so if we feel yeah. good about ourselves in in our well-being and our mental state and our physical state and our community and we feel loved and cared for and safe then we contribute outward you know to everyone and it's this beautiful flow but when we feel threatened and when we don't feel safe and when we feel vulnerable to whatever those attacks are, you know, whether they're physical, metaphysical, whether we're in an abusive workplace, whether we're being intimidated by people that we know or society or whatever, whether it's conscious or unconscious, we retreat and we find ourselves isolating. And I think that is the, the sadness that I feel right now is that there's a lot of isolation. There's a lot of them against us. And that's not true. The fakest of all news. Like mm-hmm. we all want to be loved. We all want community. We want security, education, health. We want validation. We all want to be heard, you know. And unfortunately, it's like I say this as a 40-year-old, you know, middle-aged white male. You know, I'm like part of the nexus of, you know, you look around the world and it's predominantly white men who are creating this fear message, right? And it's just, it's got to stop, right? It's just got to, we've got to, we've got to work so much harder. And that means, unfortunately, as we're focusing on trying to kind of decouple the realities from fake news and you know i hate using that phrase because it always works with a certain person but you know as you decouple yes. that 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 and all the energy that goes into that we're actually then not acting upon some of the solutions that exist today in fact all the solutions that exist today for the problems that we face which means that we're then back into this inaction cycle so we hear about it we know it's there but we're just trying to find mm-hmm. our community and and our and feel safe in our community to be able to step out and say things and do things in an environment that we don't get attacked for and it's funny, mm-hmm. environmentalism, if you're an environmentalist, you know, you kind of, you, you're a bit of a pariah. And I look at what's happened to Greta, an incredible young mm, vision. I was going to mention And, 
you know, and I and I wonder first of all if she was a young boy, would she be receiving as much aggravation and as much like, negative energy? Mm. This this again, this sort of just this blatant sexism, this blatant kind of attack on somebody who first and foremost is so brave to stand there in a world where you've got politicians, Absolutely. you know, and and leaders who are meant to be grown adults, literally abusing her publicly. You know, I hope your boat sinks. I hope that you, you know, what a smug girl and this yeah. and that. And you kind of like, how does that set an example to anyone to step up and, and, and stand up for what they believe in if, they, if you get attacked? And shame on them as well. Shame on them as adults. I mean, yeah. I think it says so much more about them rather than, than Greta because the young generation, they really, they, I mean, they do not view her at all about that because, you know, I have a 17-year-old who's talking about the hate that she's been getting, you know, publicly and online and everything. And they really, I mean, it's amazing to see that this generation is very open. I love the fact that they they make up their own minds about things. They don't really care what that generation is saying about her because I think they've, they've got their own picture and their own idea of what she's trying to achieve yeah. and who she is as a person. And they feel they, feel they want to support it. So that does give me a little bit of hope and you know i think that is good to see but it is shame on them this is unfortunately this kind of this ceiling this this is the ceiling that's in you know when you look at so the thing that concerns me is just in in terms of kind of like the rate of which our planet is changing is exceeding all predictions the rate at which things are changing mm. is happening faster than ever and than anyone ever thought with all these self-perpetuating feedback loops. And to be able to kind of stem that flow, we need to be acting upon the information we have and acting upon the solutions we have today. We need to be in like full swing towards doing the things that we know we need to do to adapt. We should be in it. Everybody should be working towards it. We should be transitioning at all levels from the way we produce and consume and transport and getting off a fossil fuel economy, getting into a clean, green, you know, energy economy, moving everything. Like It should be full steam ahead. Yet we've got this layer in society that is profit before planet, that is putting everything that is what we shouldn't be doing first. And there's a mm. kind of like a layer, there's a ceiling and they're still the directors of major corporations. They're still directors of, you know, institutions. They're still an old guard, the old guard that is threatened by this new movement, this new voice, this fresh, you know, kind of energy that we haven't seen for a long time. And I think there's a lot of people who, again, they get into it and go, God, I want to be part of this movement. But the movement only becomes a moment after a while because the concept of a movement is it, it moves somewhere, it's continual. And we're so bombarded, I think, with messages and people get into these moments and go, yeah, I'm in it. And then they realize there's this kind of very stifling old world mindset, this planet point one zero mindset that says, we don't want to be threatened. We, you know, we feel threatened. So we're going to shut this down. We're going to legislate against, you know, protests. We're going to send out like, you know, you're sending out people with batons and CS spray you know, to peaceful protesters. Are you joking? You know, what are you doing? This is outrageous. And yet it's 110 degrees in Paris and then it's flooding in, you know, Mumbai and it's the fires in Australia. And you look at the world, the world is falling apart. And yet we're, you know, smashing people over the head with a bat and going, how dare you say that we need to change because our planet is changing? How dare you do that? And you're like, wait a second, what's going on? And then people get disheartened and they go home. And they become yeah. apathetic. And then they go, you know what? I'll leave it to someone else. But as you say, there is 
I think at this point, there is extraordinary amount of momentum and opportunity to make a positive impact. And hopefully with what I call weapons of mass distribution and our ability to, you know, share information very quickly, hopefully there's a positive energy that can trump the fear that we're seeing. I think the younger generation are so they're taking this matter into their own hands they they're the ones that are you know it's going to affect their future and it's fantastic to see the energy and the drive that they have to try and bring climate change and other anti-guns and other social issues to the light and really stand behind them and we're just about to come out with our youth issue and there's a 14 year old girl that we had in, interviewed and she shut down brooklyn bridge um i think with a thousand students over climate change um she's talk, talking at the yeah. un I think is it next yeah. week or the week next after week, there's yeah. an environmental summit here in New York and yeah they're so passionate and driven which is really inspiring and they're the ones yeah, that are really standing up against all of this. I think it's kind of you need like for me when I when I read it when I see it when I feel it when you're you're amongst a community of change makers you need that no one's you know you need that inspiration we need that energy we need that you know we talk about clean energy well that clean energy is the youth right that is that abundance that's that uncynical unwavering belief that anything's possible that as you get older you kind of you do become full of fear and you become full of routine and you become skeptical and you go well I'm not sure all you've got to do is walk into a classroom you know I was doing a lecture not long ago up in in the north of England and a great school in Lytham and you know it's 200 kids in the in the assembly and the questions they ask and the energy and the absoluteness and the sort of well why don't we just stop if trees help us breathe then let's just stop cutting down you know so kind of like matter of fact you're like yeah you're right yeah you know and as adults we procrastinate and we create problems and we get caught up in our own sort of egos and our ideas and our creatures of habit and so you need to find you know that sort of youthful exuberance mm-hmm. and that anything's possible and that's kind of interesting when you look at you know that's why if you go to any indigenous community and you spend time with indigenous cultures and communities you realize that the elderly part of the society is revered for its wisdom and its knowledge right of where we've come from and then the youth are revered for where we're going to go and their energy for the future right we put emphasis what do we do here we if you get old we put you into an old people's home and if you're young well you wait your turn we don't want to listen to you mm-hmm. and what we and why because we focus on the center part of society which is the working class the working part of society why because it puts money back into the system right it pays its taxes that's the engine of society And instead of looking at it and going, well, if it wasn't just around money, but it was about wisdom and energy and thinking about where we've been and where we should go, then we would be revering the elders. We wouldn't be locking them away in homes. And we would be, you know, allowing the youth to have a seat at the table, which they're starting to have, but more readily. It wouldn't just be a sort of slightly, quite honestly, patronizing, oh, it's so good. You're young. So we'll give you what we'll give you a two minute conversation and then we'll you know berate you on twitter afterwards it's like piss off they've got greater yeah. ideas and more energy yeah. to execute it than, than you've than these people have done <laughs> yeah but if you put a lot of youngsters in with a lot of uh, elderly people the conversation that's had you know amongst them is quite extraordinary because they're closer to each other than we are in the middle is exactly what you said you know though that's where there's in the elder there's no fear because that's when they've become truly punk. And then in the youth, there's no fear because they don't know everything yet, but they just have very clean ideas. And if we're, we're chopping, why, why are we chopping down? Stop chopping them down. It's like everything's just very, it's quite matter of fact. And that is why absolutely, I mean, it is amazing that 
when we do get to the middle that we're kind of we question everything and make everything a big yeah. long arsed problem and it goes on and on and on but the, the whole fact that you know going back to the very beginning when you said that being in touch with nature is so important yeah. and we're closest to it when we're young and we're closest to it when we're old you know suddenly that realization of you know getting your hands in the earth and garden and doing things and growing your own veg and doing your thing and that when you're young as well you know I always wonder the the fact that they stopped doing the nature tables in school, which always breaks my heart still to this day. You know, there's so many kids out there that just don't know where so much comes from and how it grows and how important it is to the world that we live in. Even just looking at something that's come out of the sea, a shell of like the detail on it and it's amazing, it comes it? from the I earth mean, that we live on. And it's just like, it's so important that we that we love it and but, we nurture and it. And, and we I think look so much it. of that for me always comes you back. Know, to this. I mean, I always sort of frame it as like nature is a magician, right? It does this does the most extraordinary magic. And mm. the thing is, when you know, when you get older and and someone does magic for you, the thing that I love about magic, you know, it's a trick, right? But if a, if a magician's good and they do magic, it actually resets you to a childlike state of curiosity. It gives you that feeling of awe and wonder that we lose as we get older mm-hmm. because you're like, whoa, 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 what just happened? Like, I know you did a trick, but it's awesome. And I'm now I'm in that sense of kind of <laughs> suspended, you know, belief and everything's just, wow. And I, I think the only parallel to me is when you're in nature and that feeling, you get that sort of, that vastness and, and that kind of, mm. it leaves you feeling, you know, part of something so much bigger and it leaves you feeling, you know, integrated into this web. And I think we're, we're all told, you know, I mean, I think that's one of the sort of, the pluses and the minus of sort of, you know, be unique, be your own person, which we all should. But we're also presented ourselves as, you know, that can drip into sort of isolation again. And I think n- no organism exists in isolation. It, everything is intertwined, interrelated. I mean, it was a bit like, you know, when Einstein coined the sort of quantum entanglement theory at the end of his life when he was sparring with Niels Bohr. And he said, look, there's this thing, quantum entanglement, where, you know, you cannot describe one molecule without describing the rest and it's like we cannot describe i cannot describe my life as i was saying to you earlier without describing all of those experiences and the people i met and and we're we're all quantumly entangled and i think that's the most beautiful thing about nature is it it is this beautiful intrinsic web of life that when you allow yourself to be open to the possibility of magic and open to the possibility of being part reintegrating your understanding that you are still part of that web of life not outside of that web of life then you start to feel that magic again, that community again, that sense of purpose again. It gives you a greater sense of being. And, and I think that's, you know, quite honestly, the biggest driver for me. Like, it's the most beautifully selfish pursuit because you go, the closer I get to nature, the more I feel part of something and the more complete I feel. And I think really that is the sort of the biggest driver. I say to people is like, you know, in, in, in a day and age where, when you look at most of our nature programming on television, it's still man versus nature, survival. Did we, you know, or it's when animals attack, it's always fear-based. When animals attack us, it's shark week became shark month, became, you know, shark year yeah. almost. Or it's like, will, will we catch the biggest tuna in the ocean wow, and how much will God. we pay for it? And it's always versus working with nature, alongside nature, feeling that actually this is the greatest mentor of, of all. There's four and a half billion years of incredible evolution that we can learn from, live with, and thrive with versus right now where all we're doing is basically setting ourselves up for failure because nature will be fine. It, you know, we, we won't, and that's the bottom line. So we have to feel part of the system. We have to kind of shake off that fear. 
We have to embrace the voices from all walks of life. We have to start to realize that nobody's as smart as everybody. And unless we work together and fly Spaceship Earth together, we're going to have a horrible crash landing. And our time on this planet will just be a mere blip. The fact that we actually have the arrogance to say that we're now in this epoch, right? We're now in this new Anthropocene, the human era age. And it's like, it's a very self-centered sort of egotistical human thing to do. Yes, we are the most dominant yeah. force on this planet, but we've only been around, you know, for a very short period of time. And yes, we're having this big, you know, impact, but it's quite a sort of, I don't know, I, I have a, a funny feeling about that where it's sort of like, again, it's like man versus nature. Like we now are the most dominant and we're going to give it a name. And it, it's, it's the negative connotation with that. But, you know, rather than just going, we kind of were just like, you know, we're that kind of rowdy, person at the party who just wants attention and doesn't know how to you know get it so just screams and shouts and made a mess and then everyone's sort of leaving you know what I mean you know and we just got to realize that we've got to be more more gentle and integrated and not be at war which we are with nature but not be at war with the very thing that keeps us alive it just it doesn't add up doesn't stack up no it's very inspiring I want to hear about any part more two. We will, we will revisit it. Um, it. Maybe we can, I can, maybe next week I've got a little bit more time. I could uh, jump back in or at some point. But listen, That'd thank you guys fantastic. for, for we'll, the mission and for yeah. everything you guys do and the inspiration you, that you curate um, through all the channels that you're doing through the magazine. And just to be part of that in a little way and to be able to kind of learn from all these people that you keep on throwing down into this mixing bowl that is mission. And it's just awesome. So thank you. Yeah, well done. Thank you. Thank you, David. Thank you. Well, you're part of the gang now. Amazing. <laughs> Thank you, David. Next in the series, we get to sit down with Lauren Bush Lauren. In 2007, Lauren started Feed Projects with the aim to feed children around the world. And she's pretty remarkable what she's doing. Please join us in listening to what she has to say and where she's taking Feed Project next.